Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknett. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Howdy, folks. So we're in the final days of 2018, and I thought it'd be a good time to take a moment to reflect back on this past year uh, with the Miracle Moment and highlight some of the most important episodes. If you're like me, one thing you struggle with in this day and age is trying to manage all the information that we now have access to. On the one hand, it's an incredible blessing that we have virtually the entire store of human knowledge at our fingertips. And on top of that, there's great new content being produced all the time. And there's far more than we can ever get to in a single lifetime. So it's easy after we consume something, whether it's a book, an article, or an episode of a podcast, to just move right on to the next thing. But if we want whatever we've just consumed to matter, if we want it to function as more than just entertainment, then we do need time to sit with it a bit. Plus, it's rare for things to sink in fully the first time around. One of the key principles of learning anything is repetition. And in particular, repetition that's spaced out in time is of particular use. So, in light of all that, I thought I'd take this end of the year to highlight a few key episodes of the podcast, and I'll be releasing these over the next several days as we approach 2019. These are all episodes that contain messages that I see as especially important to anyone's success in slaying the beast once and for all, which I know for many of you will be a goal for 2019. So this episode features my interview with Greg Acker, and it was the first success story interview that we had on the podcast. As I've said before, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about the science behind the Migraine Miracle Plan, why it works so well, and how the drugs that are taken for migraine so often transform it from a short-term to a long-term problem. But I know there's nothing that compares to hearing these stories from people just like you who've been through all of it, who've taken bold and courageous action and slayed the beast. And the most courageous action of all is tackling the migraine medications. But it's no coincidence that so many of our most incredible and rapid success stories started with that step. Get rid of the effects of the abortives and put the plan into action. And it's a really incredible combination. And that combination is really the three pillars of protection that I talk about so often. So eliminating rebound or the vulnerability to future migraines caused by the medications is one of them. And the other two, establishing metabolic flexibility and eliminating mismatched foods and behaviors, are taken care of when you implement the plan. And these are the three pillars because we've seen time and time again the magic happens when all three are in place. And as you'll hear in this story, Greg struggled mightily with migraines for years. And magic indeed happened for Greg once he got all three pillars in place. And as you'll hear in his story, he struggled mightily with migraines for many years, uh, battling them for, for much of his life and for years requiring frequent headache medications just to remain able to function at home and at work. And it's a story I know that many of you know all too well and almost an inevitable outcome of the way in which migraines are currently treated. But as he can now attest, it doesn't have to be that way. Gregory refers to his recovery from chronic migraines and the way in which the changes that he's made have impacted every aspect of his life for the better as stunning in his own words. And I know the feeling very well. Some of the other things you'll learn in his interview are the rewards of going all in on the plan, 
the hidden advantage that migraineurs have when it comes to doing hard things, um, the true cause of tension headaches, uh, the two big keys to his major breakthrough, and his own recommendations for how you can accelerate your own journey to migraine freedom. Before we get to that episode, just a reminder that in January, we're launching our first Breaking Rebound Challenge. So we hold regular 30-day challenges inside of Migrant Everland for our members, and we do these about once a month. And the first one we're doing in January is the Breaking Rebound Challenge. As you'll hear in so many of our success stories, Breaking Rebound, or the vulnerability to future migraines that are caused by the abortive medications, is an absolutely critical step in getting to migraine freedom. And it's no coincidence that this is the very first step that so many of our most successful members have taken. As I talked about a couple of episodes ago where I discussed the concept of the future migraine risk score, which is a reflection of the amount by which each dose of medication we take predisposes us to a future migraine, there's very little in the way of help for folks who are trying to break out of rebound and move to a drug-free path to migraine freedom. And one way to provide that help is simply to give folks a community of people who are going through the same thing. While there are a lot of online migraine communities out there, many of them are unfortunately centered around drug solutions. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably looking for a solution without drugs because you're concerned about the long-term risks and because you know that the drugs ultimately undermine your ability to achieve lasting freedom from migraines for the reasons we've discussed before. So during this challenge, you'll have a community of people who have the same goals as you, and we'll provide all the resources, tips, and strategies that we've accumulated over the past several years in helping so many folks through this. So if that sounds of interest to you, we'd love to have you as part of the challenge. And to learn more about uh, Migraine Everland and all the resources that we offer, just go to MyMigraineMiracle.com and click on the Resources tab at the top. Also, I've created a page that lists out the challenges for the next year, and you can find that by going to MyMigraineMiracle.com forward slash schedule. And lastly, I wanted to share a recent quote from someone who just finished the Beast Slayer Training Academy. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Academy is one of the features of Migraine Everland. As I've said before, the book, The Migraine Miracle, is where you learn the why behind the Migraine Miracle Plan and gain the essential knowledge that you need. And then Migraine Everland and the resources that come with it, including the Beast Slayer Training Academy, are where you'll learn how to put it all into action and have a family of supporters behind you. So without further ado, here's the first installment in the Miracle Stories uh, edition, my interview with Gregory Acker. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Gregory, for taking the time to be on the show today and to share your experience uh, with our audience. Um, I know your story is one that uh, many fellow migraineurs, uh, myself included, um, uh, will be able to relate to. So how about we begin by kind of going back uh, to the beginning with uh, kind of your history with migraines, when you kind of first recall them starting and what that was like? Happy to do that, Josh, and it's good to be here with you, and I'm grateful for the podcast. Thank you. My, you know, I really barely remember a time in my life when I didn't get headaches. Right. I I specifically remember times in, you know, late middle school, early high school having headaches. I remember suffering with them through high school, so it's really just been a, a fixture of my entire life, and uh, I'm in my early 60s now. 
what do you recall kind of uh, growing up or when you, you know, your first, your, the first times you had, had with them, um, were they kind of initially few and far between or were they kind of a, uh, a constant fixture uh, from the outset? Well, you know, it's been a, a fairly consistent pattern my entire life. And by the way, to digress, mm-hmm. both my parents suffered consistent headaches. So I, I, that might be inter- interesting to your listener. Sure. Uh, typically, what would happen is it was not unusual for me to wake up with a headache. So I would wake in the morning with a headache. It would get worse throughout the day. and Oftentimes it would get better in the evening or it might last for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. The pattern was to wake with the headache, uh, have it during the day. And then some days I would wake up and I would feel fine. I would have no headache at all. So uh, the pattern of having uh, a migraine or, or a headache, which I eventually uh, determined uh, was a migraine headache, right. uh, was something that uh, was sporadic and uh, and unpredictable. Did you have what you'd consider to be kind of different kinds of headaches? Some were uh, of different character or intensity and so forth, or were they kind of all one similar thing? No, they, they were different. Uh-huh. Sometimes uh, they would, I would describe them more like tension headaches. So mm-hmm. there would just be tension or pressure around the head. Sometimes they would be associated with pain in, in the neck. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would get the, uh, the full migraine experience where right. would be blurry or I would have increased sensitivity to smells or mm-hmm. sounds. I would want to get away from light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- that was not, uh, that experience didn't happen every time. It would be about one out of every five headaches would mm-hmm. be, uh, of that character. The others just seem more like regular, uh, typical tension headaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, uh, common story. And, um, I, I, talked about this some before, um, but that, uh, you know, folks will off, folks with migraines will often experience multiple kinds of headaches and may, may only call, you know, refer to one of them as migraines. Um, but, uh, they're probably all kind of arms, different arms of the same underlying phenomenon, um, with the, sort of the, the full blown attack being the, the, the bigger expression of the whole migraine beast. But a lot of times those other headaches kind of get, um, ignored or, or less, you know, treated differently. But I think probably, um, the underlying, you know, uh, the, the thing that provokes them is probably going to be the same in all cases. Um, did you, um, end up uh, like early, early on, were you, uh, just sort of grinning and bearing it or did you get started on any type of treatment, uh, you know, uh, earlier in your life, uh, for your headaches? No, most of the time I would, <laughs> I would just grin and bear it. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, uh, it was part of my strategy just to hide the fact that I was experiencing pain from the people around me. So yep. I went to college, uh, I worked, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in, uh, in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't much to take. You know, you, you take aspirin, that's about all that was available back then, and then Advil came along and Tylenol and and so I started taking those medications right. as well. Um, were they helpful? Well, what would happen is uh, on some days, on the days that I would wake with these unpredictable headaches, mm-hmm. I would uh, be unable to, uh, to deal with them without taking Advil. Right. And so uh, 
in about two thirds of the cases within two or three hours, the Advil would solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I've got uh, the side effects associated with taking Advil or Tylenol. Sure. But then about 15 years ago, I spoke to my family uh, primary care physician about this, and he suggested that if what I was really having, at least on some of the occasions, uh, were the migraines. And mm-hmm. so, uh, that's when he uh, prescribed the uh, triptan. So I started taking risotriptan about 15 years ago. And, and over the years, I've had to take that about uh, sometimes once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it would be three times a week. It just depended on what happened. I've just had this uh, unpredictable experience with it. Right. Did you, was it your experience um, over the past kind of 15 years or so after getting started on that? Um, did your kind of overall frequency or need to take something like that stay the same or increase? Um, well, that's a good question. During the last uh, five or six years, my need to take uh, the Advil, the Tylenol, and then the triptans as well, Mm-hmm. increased uh, dramatically because I was getting more headaches. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would go a week, a week and a half without getting them, mm-hmm. reasons that I couldn't understand. Right. And then I might get, uh, I might have 10 days in a row with headaches. Mm-hmm. And so I became, uh, as I've learned from you, uh, increasingly dependent on the medicine mm-hmm. and then in rebound associated with the medication. So that, that was a big issue. Right. Um, did you have a, have an awareness, uh, over the years as to anything in particular that seemed to at least make you more vulnerable or more likely to experience a headache, whether it was the, the more tension like or migraine like headaches? Well, that's the, uh, surprising part of this story. I, I was exposed to the, uh, paleo diet people and I listened to a lot of podcasts. So Mm -hmm. I transitioned to a somewhat inconsistent paleo diet about three years ago. And it was through those podcasts that I was exposed to your book. So I read the book right after it came out as uh, you and I've discussed and, and then thought, well, that's real interesting. I just won't do any of that, but what an interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And I wish that I had in your regimen, you have to, especially initially be more Mm -hmm. aggressive with uh, carbohydrate reduction. Sure. Yeah. Um, so out of curiosity, was that kind of the thing that was uh, back then where you're like, well, this sounds great, but I'm not quite ready for that. Was it, was it that aspect of it, um, that made you a little bit apprehensive that that seemed, uh, challenging or, or what, what do you think it was that kind of, um, made it then, uh, that you didn't sort of go all in? You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I've thought about that a lot. I think in some ways, perhaps I, I just didn't believe it. Maybe I just thought sure. it was too good to be true. Right. Uh, another aspect was that, you know, people don't want to give up uh, homemade vanilla ice cream <laughs> and uh, sugar in their coffee and, yeah, you know, cookies, uh, you know, uh, crackers, potato chips, you know, that stuff. Yeah, sure. I just didn't. I think that until I took the B-Slayer course, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, I wasn't convinced. It, I became convinced after I listened to the podcast and, and took the beast slayer course. And, and that's when I decided to, uh, to go ahead and, and go all in and, uh, make the change. But, but I think, uh, I think in the past it was just the temptation of the food yeah, and, uh, a lack of awareness on my part that it really could make a difference. Sure. 
Yeah, and this uh, I think we've talked about too. That this is one of the challenges for 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 me in trying to get the message out there is that um, it is it is I can understand where it could be perceived as being too good to be true. Um, so I oftentimes wonder if I should temper the message to some degree to prevent that kind of reaction because it you know in my experience I think in your experience it's such a disparity uh, you know the improvement is is it's so much more than you would uh, have probably thought possible. Um, but you convey that and that's hard for, hard for people to sometimes, um, get their head around, but that, and that's why having someone like yourself on and, and having other people who've been through the same experience, I think is, is so valuable in helping folks to see that that really is something that's, that's possible. Um, I wanted to ask you, what was it, or, or, what was it, um, a few years ago that got you in the first place to kind of move towards the paleo diet? Um, are you generally like, uh, overall been mindful of health and nutrition, um, for a long time and kind of that's what spurred it on or where did that come from? Well, you know, th that's a, a sad part of the story because I, I did understand that there was a relationship between food and the headaches. Mm -hmm. And so I read, uh, Gary Tobbs works, you know, good calories, bad calories, sure. uh, why we get fat and what to do about it. And those had a big influence. So uh, Gary's done a great job and, and it was through, uh, some of the paleo people that I, I'm sure I was referred to, uh, your work and I mm -hmm. saw your, uh, your lecture, uh, online. I was seeing the connection. I just didn't, didn't make the change, but it was Gary Tobbs had a big influence. You know, there were other people that had a, that have had a big influence as well, like Doug McGuff and Bill Simone and people like that. So you, uh, so you'd been on the paleo diet for a while. Did you, did you, uh, with, with that, um, was there any significant change as far as your headaches went or did that, that piece kind of continue, uh, as it was until you kind of moved more into the, uh, the migraine miracle and the beast slayer training? You know, it did get better. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when I, I could observe that when I was on a paleo regimen, Mm -hmm. in my diet that things got better and not just the headaches, everything got better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my uh, general health got better, weight got better. Yeah. Strength was better. So there were other things happening too. It was just the inconsistent application of the paleo diet that I now see was the thing that was tripping me up because I might eat paleo all day and then come home from work and I was having uh, a carb craving and I might eat a pack of potato chips and, uh, and I didn't realize that that's all it took. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, during this period of time, probably we're, we're still taking, uh, medications for headache relief fairly, fairly often. About how often would you say was it? Well, uh, the Advil and Tylenol and or Tylenol alone might be, uh, three days a week and the triptans about, uh, one to two days a week, depending on what happened. You mentioned, when was it that you uh, started with the uh, Beast Slayer Training Academy? Well, I've got, because the change has been so dramatic, I have those dates. <laughs> Etched in memory. <laughs> Here's what happened. I had had a, a terrible couple of weeks in late September and early October when I had headaches every single day. Yeah. And there just wasn't any relief. And so on the 7th of October, uh, I got up early. I was by myself and I thought, wonder if this guy, uh, Josh Turknett, <laughs> read his book, uh, 
and he is a neurologist. So I wonder if he's got anything new. <laughs> and that's when I found the podcast. Right. And so uh, from the 7th of October until the, the 10th, I listened to all the podcasts and took a lot of notes. And, and uh, then on the 10th, I signed up for the, uh, the full Migrant Neverland program, mm-hmm. started the B-Slayer course. So, and so I, I actually started the, I was taking the program and implementing it at the same time, starting on the 10th of October. And what would you say kind of are the, are the biggest differences between, you know, what you were doing before that point in time and kind of how, what you're doing now? <laughs> it's, uh, it, there's a big difference. And, and let me comment, if you don't mind, on the mm-hmm. Sure. I think the reason the course worked when the book did not work is the course is a process. It's, mm-hmm. you know, for your listeners, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of video. Mm-hmm. And so it's the difference between, I think, having a college textbook and having a college textbook and a tutor to go with it. Uh-huh. To me, the Beast Slayer course was a, um, like hiring a tutor with a process. Yeah. And that's when it all made sense to me. Yeah. So back to your, your question, which was, uh, I think your question was, what did I implement at that time? Mm-hmm. Your course had uh, had a couple of key components, and the first was I had to stop taking all medication. Mm-hmm. And you you had two paths for that. One was the gradual path, probably like a person trying to gradually quit smoking. Absolutely, right. And uh, the other path was start today on the 10th of October and expect some rebound headaches as a result. And that's what I did. So I just decided if I wake up with a headache, I'm not taking anything. It's a terrible month. The headaches, instead of being better, they were worse. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no relief. And, uh, but that's the way I did it. I just stopped taking all the triptans. Right. And all Advil and all Tylenol all at once. You concentrated the pain up front, ripped the bandaid off, right? That's right. Yeah. The other part was uh, food. And so I reduced uh, my carbohydrate consumption to about 20, 30 grams of carbs a day. And that went on. I I made a different reduction right after Thanksgiving and went to 10 grams a day. But that's what I did for about the first uh, month and a half was about 30 grams. So when did you kind of feel like you'd gotten over the hump or when did you start seeing uh, signs of improvement? Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I'll describe the, the process a little bit. Sure. The week was just awful. I would come home from work. I'd be in pain during the day. I'd be in even worse pain at night. And often I would just say goodnight to my wife and go sleep in another room and just uh, turn on soft music. And frankly, I was just in pain all night. Yeah. And so that was the first week. And then about a week into it, I had a couple of days when I woke up and it was, I had not felt that good in years. You know, it was exhilarating. Right. And so then I got a taste of what was possible and that motivated me to press on. Mm -hmm. So I had these, these intermittent days where I'd have two or three days of pain followed by two or three exhilarating, wonderful days. Mm -hmm. But then over time, just like the course predicted, the rebound problem dealt with itself. Uh, You know, the body starts to heal. Mm -hmm. And I had 
very few headaches. And so by Thanksgiving of last year in 2017, you know, they were once every two or three weeks. And, but the only reason I, I dropped the carbs down to about 10 grams is I thought, well, what will happen if I take that additional step? Is it possible that they'll just go away com- completely? And that's exactly what happened. Wow. So let's see, it's January 22nd today. So, um, Things have continued to go well, I presume, since Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, been stunning. Uh, the, you know, no headaches, uh, a tremendous energy. Frankly, more joyfulness, a much more uh, joyful lifestyle, and uh, better interaction with people. You know, it's it's extremely encouraging. Yeah. Uh, so does, does the, um, I know like if we, if we were to rewind back, uh, a few years ago, the idea of, of dropping the carbs out of the diet or, uh, or at least making a reduction kind of seemed, uh, challenging and overwhelming. How is your, has your conception or your idea about that changed? Does it still feel hard? Um, or has your frame of mind about that shifted? It doesn't feel hard at all <laughs> because, uh, what happened, when, especially when I dropped the carbs down to my current incredibly low level, when you deviate from that, then there is a, a different relationship with food. In mm-hmm. other words, instead of uh, eating food because it tastes good, mm-hmm. I, I now find that I'm eating food because of the way it makes me feel. Yeah. So, so let me give you an example. You know, there have been a couple of times when I looked at, uh, we have these Halloween candies in the house still. And so I would go and eat one of those tiny little chocolates. I know it sounds uh, crazy, but I can feel the difference in about five minutes after eating a chocolate like that, and it doesn't feel good. Yep. So, uh, so that makes it easy. The other thing is that even now, of course, uh, sometimes you think, wow, a bowl of ice cream would be great. <laughs> and the way I deal with that is I'll just go eat a couple of hamburger patties. Uh huh. Right. Or so, in other words, I, I don't refrain from eating. If I'm right. craving, I'll just go eat, but I'll eat something that is extremely low carb instead of something that's going to uh, trigger another headache. Yeah. That's a great strategy. Yeah. That's kind of like a habit replacement where you take some habit you were wanting to avoid and re- replace it with something that's still pleasurable, but it's not going to have the same consequences. And I think you, what you also mentioned there too is, is that one of the things, um, that kind of that, that going through all this does is really cultivates your sense of how uh, food impacts you um, in a way you probably didn't appreciate, you know, for a long time. I know that was very true for me. And like you now, um, a lot of the things that would have tempted me years ago don't have any hold um, because I can now recognize how I'm going to feel. You know, I might enjoy the taste of taste of some ice cream, you know, for a few seconds, <laughs> maybe a little bit longer. Um, but then I know the way I'm going to feel for a good while thereafter. Um, and obviously risk a, a visit from the beast. So, um, it's a lot easier, but it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, it's hard to imagine being in that place, you know, when you're, you know, like you, like you were in three years ago. Um, but it really does uh, change your whole, whole relationship to food. Um, and one comment I would make about that is I, I have now, now that I have this optimistic perspective on all this, mm-hmm. 
I, I see the uh, migraineur is having a bit of a built-in advantage. Yeah. <laughs> the analogy might be, let's say that a person uh, had an addiction to smoking, mm -hmm. and every time they smoke more than five cigarettes on Tuesday, on Wednesday, let's imagine that they were incredibly nauseous and they vomited all day. Mm -hmm. And they didn't see the connection between the tobacco addiction and the nausea and vomiting. And then along comes a, a doctor who says, you know, it's the smoking. Mm -hmm. And so through incredible difficulty, they break that habit. And now they have the benefit of uh, no more nausea and vomiting, plus all the benefit that comes from getting away from that addiction. So to, in, in my view, this is a little bit like that. The, mm -hmm. the uh, relationship with food is so it's so global it's more than just ending migraines right with digestion and you know i've lost i lost five pounds um uh, my strength is better i do i can do much more in the gym now i'm i'm in the best shape i've been in in 20 years yeah and i think that the way you feel now and the way i feel now since doing this since kind of trying to realign how i live how i eat with the way a human is supposed to eat and live um, is that we're now experiencing you know what it's meant to feel like to be a human um, and it's pretty remarkable and it's pretty amazing and um, you know we think oh my gosh this is magical but this is this is probably um, you know what the default state of a human being is supposed to be and it's um, you know tragic and sad in a way that you know so many people out there right now don't get to experience this and even if tomorrow, you know, the uh, pill came out that cured migraines for good uh, and, uh, and it was okay to go back and start, you know, drinking uh, soda and eating donuts, um, you know, I would never, ever be tempted to do that again, migraines or no migraines, because um, it just feels so much better uh, to, to be this way. It's a nice coincidence. Uh, although probably not a coincidence, but that, that the things that are so powerful at keeping the migraines away also, you know, are uh, the same things that kind of lead to optimized uh, health. It's I, funny, I, I, I agree with you about that, that you can certainly uh, frame migraineurs as being fortunate in one respect, um, being that we have kind of a, a canary in the coal mine. We have a a warning, an early warning system for a lot of these things, whether they're diet and lifestyle. Um, that oftentimes, you know, lead to dysfunction and disease uh, if they're continued over many years, um, but for which most people don't get a, any type of warning about, you know, until it's too late. Um, and we have something that's, you know, telling us when those, when that sort of thing is happening. The challenge is, you know, recognizing that that's what's going on. And I think for a long time, I don't, we haven't, you know, sort of uh, conceptualized migraines as, as, doing that sort of thing, but I absolutely um, think that's a valid way of viewing them and, and seeing them that they're, um, they're letting us know when our, when our behaviors, whether it's what we're eating or what we're doing, are kind of misaligned with uh, what our brain and our biology is expecting. If we were to go back like a year ago, um, uh, how often would you say you were uh, taking anything for a headache uh, over the course of a, of a month? Uh, like how many days out of a typical month? Well, the, the triptans, some months it might only be uh, 
four four times. Sometimes it might be eight times, depending on the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advil or Tylenol, maybe two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I was taking something for the last five or six years, probably four out of seven days a week. So more days, more days than not. You know, another thing that your story illustrates is that you were you're kind of, you know, you were already going down the right path, right? You'd, you'd made, you already made some changes and, and were mindful of health and you were, you were, you know, had, had adopted the, the paleo plan and were trying to put that into action. Um, and so you were kind of already poised uh, to, to reap the benefits of this approach. Um, but it wasn't, but getting the, the medications out of the equation was obviously a huge piece in kind of getting you to that, to that, to that next level. Um, and that's a story we see a lot. Um, and it's one reason why I talk so much about the, the, the medications and the role they play because you can do all this work to change, make all these changes that are hard and not easy, um, create all these new habits and not see the benefits because those are holding you back. And then kind of once you can clear the decks and get those out of the way, we so often see people make these huge leaps in their imp- improvement and that, certainly seems to be what happened here. Another aspect of, of my life that has changed is uh, the observation of the way a year ago or five years ago mm-hmm. food, uh, pushed me around. Right. In other words, uh, if you're eating, if you're a migraineur and you're eating a lot of carbohydrate or you uh, binge on it, mm-hmm. then you have this huge uh, energy and insulin spike, and then you crash. And when I would crash, I would do the stere- the stereotypical thing, which is go to more carbs or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, hit, hit a coffee shop and uh, mm-hmm. have a double or triple espresso. So you're, you're spending your life trying to balance out this uh, energy problem. Right. But when the carbs uh, don't, they never completely go away. But when you're eating a very few carbs at all, mm-hmm. then you have this kind of stone steadiness. Uh, and so my craving for things like caffeine have just, that also disappeared. Yeah. So a typical day, you know, in the, a year ago, I was having a couple of espressos and a cup of coffee every day and then two or three teas. And today, uh, more than about a half cup of coffee and it just doesn't feel right. And most days I don't even have that. So, and I don't crave it. That's, that's what's so interesting. Yeah. When I want to drink something, I, I just go drink more water. Right. Absolutely. I refer to the three pillars of protection being uh, eliminating mismatched foods and behaviors, uh, establishing metabolic flexibility, and then eliminating rebound. And sort of you had gotten to where you were, do, you had eliminated the mismatches uh, to a large extent, but it was that metabolic flexibility piece and the medication piece. Um, to get over, and that—that's really when what you talk about there with the energy levels just completely changing. This, you know, going from this roller coaster that that most people are on, and just assume as a natural part of you know life, and then going to this other state of being with these solid, you know, smooth energy levels without these ups and downs. That's really when you know you're experiencing that metabolic flexibility kicking in, that ability to shift easily from burning, you know, sugar carbohydrates to burning stored body fat, uh, when you need it. Um, and that, those are those two things that, you know, once that kicks in and then once the, once the medications get out of the picture, so often we see these, uh, boosts, um, in people's recovery. 
Um, the other thing that like, that's, I talk about is, um, you know, how, how important uh, grit and persistence is. We know it's, you know, it's talked about all the time as a key to success, but it definitely applies here. Um, you know, everybody kind of has to find their own way kind of using this toolkit and this framework. Um, and there are going to be, you know, bumps along the way, but I, you know, encourage everybody to, to keep on the path, to keep persisting because, you know, you, you, the, the longer you go at it, the more likely you are to, to find the path that's right for you. To comment on that and, and hopefully to encourage your audience, uh, in my judgment, migraineurs are really tough people. Absolutely. Because the, in your case, for example, Josh, you went through med school with this. Yeah. So I can't imagine anything much more challenging than medical school. And you did it while suffering pain while sitting in class and lectures, right? Sure, absolutely, yeah. And I've gone to work and I sit in meetings and people have no idea and your audience is like that. So your audience is already mm. tough yeah, and accustomed to dealing with pain. The, the way I frame it is to say, okay, if, if you do it the way I did it, which is all at once, mm -hmm. the pain is not going to diminish. It's going to get worse for a relatively short period of time. But it got better quicker than I expected. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to, to those who are functional migraineurs like, like I was, uh, you know, you're, you're tough and uh, you can do it. But, but I, I don't want to tell people to necessarily rip the Band-Aid off all at once because it may be that for uh, a huge percentage of your audience, maybe gradual is better. So every, everyone has to find their own. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think most, a lot of people probably know what type of person they are in that regard. Uh, but definitely it's finding the right fit. One other thing that I wanted to um, ask you was kind of to, if you could give us sort of a synopsis of, of what a day looks like for you nowadays, particularly kind of like with the, what you're, what you're eating. Okay. I'll take this morning as a pretty typical example. I, I rose at, at 5.30 without an alarm because I had, you know, I slept great all night. Uh -huh. And uh, I immediately went to eat. And so I had four eggs with sausage. And the sausage I choose has no filler. It's just uh, pork and spices. Mm -hmm. Followed by a three-quarter pound ribeye steak. Nice. That was breakfast. And, uh -huh. and when I choose the ribeyes, I, I choose ribeyes that have uh, more fat. Same here. And I choose a cut that has a little more because sometimes the, the store or the butcher will trim the fat off and that's not what, what we want. Right. And so that's breakfast mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, for liquid. It's just, it was just uh, water. And so then with a meal that big, I don't tend to get hungry anymore at noon. Uh, it's not unusual for me to either skip lunch or have a light lunch and then have a, a big meal uh, late in the afternoon. Now, I, I took your advice because uh, in your course, you you point out that it's ideal to to finish eating in the evening before it gets dark. Yep. And so, uh, so I try to be done by five thirty or so. Mm -hmm. And then, and and supper is not unlike. Uh, the earlier meal at breakfast. So it might be uh, fish. Uh, it might be more eggs, uh, ground beef. And I choose the beef that has the more fat, which has the 
nice benefit of being less expensive. And a lot of fish, a lot of, um, you know, uh, pork chops with the fat, bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I eat chicken, it's always the thighs. But this is an obviously uh, elimination type diet. I have been adding back in uh, plant source food lately, mm-hmm. but I'm watching that. Yesterday morning, I had almost the same breakfast, but I followed it with about three quarters of a cup of blueberries. And and I also took your advice and had the blueberries after the meal instead of right on an empty stomach. And there has been no uh, no adverse uh, impact to eating a more carb-rich food like the blueberries. So that's the that's I'm sort of in the experimental phase where I'm wondering, okay, how what and how much can I add back to uh, maintain uh, good health and wellness? Yeah, I think that's an excellent approach. It's kind of um, a, a lot of a lot of folks have taken that because we we do see um, benefit from carbohydrate restriction, including ketogenic range restriction, um, sort of in, in boosting people's progress and accelerating that transformation to becoming metabolically flexible. And so you kind of hit the, use that to kind of hit the reset button and then add things back in. And, and most, most folks end up finding, you know, somewhere along those lines, uh, a carbohydrate threshold, um, usually where they just might start feeling a little bit more sluggish or noticing, you know, in signs that that metabolic flexibility may be coming a little bit compromised and so and then find that finding that level that's right for them but um that's you know that's a very uh sensible way to do it i know that too that a lot of folks uh feel so great when they're um in ketosis um and uh some some don't want to leave that state either um so i'll be curious to see kind of how it goes for you could i make a couple of comments along those lines with regard to uh digestion, I, I assumed eating a diet like this would be uh, impossible to digest. And, and right. in reality, my digestion has been much better. So that's been a happy surprise. Yeah. And I've also uh, tested maybe once a week to see if I'm in ketosis. Mm-hmm. And probably because I'm eating so much protein, I've only tested with the, the lowest reading amounts. Mm-hmm. On two occasions. Gotcha. So for the most part, I just kind of ignore the whole issue of uh, ketosis and enjoy the meal. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's typically the way to go. Is just you know it, w- whether or not you're in or you're out is not as is not the relevant marker. The relevant marker is the way you're feeling and are you experiencing the types of you know signs that we want to see that things are heading in the right direction, and then using the testing when needed to. To, to guide you. You mentioned earlier about your, your kind of the contour of your day and in your diet is being radical. But, and um, it is, you know, compared to sort of the cultural norm that we're used to. Um, I would imagine a human 100,000 years ago might not see it as so, <laughs> so radical. Um, you know, we, the two things that you're, you're not doing is, uh, you know, eating uh, dessert foods for breakfast and uh, and you're also not adhering to a strict, you know, three meals a day, whether or not you're hungry, but you're kind of just listening to your own cues. Uh, is that, a, I, would, I would imagine that's a, a fair way to put it in terms of nowadays, how you're deciding when to eat, right? That, that's right. Uh, <laughs> it's not on, on schedule. You know, I, uh, my closest friend went to uh, Romania for a long vacation and he sent me a photo of breakfast in Romania. So he sent 
He's out in the countryside in Romania, and it was uh, scrambled eggs. Yeah. Back. Yeah. The fat back were these. It was essentially a giant piece of uh, cooked lard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like a, a a very thick piece of bacon, and he said it was delicious. And I thought, well, there there's an example of how in other parts of the world they're eating in a way that's uh, very high fat, mm -hmm. low carb. And he said the only other thing that was offered for breakfast was a small cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. And there's your there's your fuel for the day. Well, Gregory, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience uh, with everybody today. Um, like I said before. I know there's going to be a lot of people out there who can relate to it. I know I can. Your story is pretty uh, similar to mine, and you're kind of where I was uh, a few several years ago when I kind of went down this path and and really couldn't believe you know this was even possible. And that's why I ended up you know calling calling the book the Migraine Miracle because it felt so miraculous. Um, and it sounds like you're in the same boat. Um, is there anything else before we head out that you want to? share with uh, the audience? Uh, yes. Uh, just to encourage the audience, uh, you know, you're, you're already tough and you're able to make these changes. Where I would uh, consider starting, uh, if, if the course had been available 20 years ago, that would have been wonderful, of course. <laughs> but, you know, just decide how you like to learn. If you prefer to learn with a book, then I would start with uh, Josh's book. Uh, and if you prefer uh, a little more intensive video-oriented approach, then the B-Slayer training course is fantastic, and, and it was the course that really made the difference for me. Uh, now, I, I strongly endorsed both the book and the course, and just to provide full disclosure, I'm not being compensated. <laughs> <laughs> you should be, but... <laughs> it's, uh, it's made a, such a difference, I, so I wanted to to close today by just thanking you, Josh, for the years in med school and uh, your residency and followed by further training in neurology and and then the, the approach that you're taking to your practice of medicine, which is a little different than the way some physicians do it. And and I appreciate a more holistic approach that where you're trying to help your patients uh, avoid medication. So for all the years that you suffered with this yourself and the years in uh, training in medical school. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And um, that's obviously why we am doing this podcast and trying to reach people. And uh, I know that uh, you being on here today is going to be, uh, is really helpful uh, in helping me to, to share this message that we're trying to get to all the people out there who really need it. So thanks once again to Gregory for sharing his story with us and being on the podcast. Um, even though I've seen this kind of story play out over and over again now, um, it really still does not get old. I said back when I wrote the book, if it just led to one person, person you know, reversing their fortune with chronic migraines, it would, will have been worth it. So um, every single one of these stories uh, means a whole lot to me. Okay, so that's it for this best of episode from 2018. Once again, if you want to make 2019 the year you commit to slaying the beast for good, we'd love to have you as part of Migraine Neverland. Just head over to MyMigraineMiracle.com and click on the resources tab at the top to learn more and to get signed up. 
and I will be back tomorrow with another Best of 2018 episode.